And welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the familiar Matt. Hello there. Hello, Matt. Hello, David. Hello, listeners. I hope we're all in a good mood after last week. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened last week, Matt. I don't know. You know <laughs> what are we on now? Episode like 140-something? There was bound to be one mm. dud amongst them. <laughs> oh, that was our first dud, was it? Yeah, yeah. And even then, it wasn't that bad. No, I don't think so. I think, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I wasn't in a, I wasn't in the most receptive of moods, I think. Right, well. I think I mustn't have been. Let, let me ask you a question, David. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to have a bloody good time this afternoon? I'll do my level best. I'll, 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 I'll level with you and the listeners. I am absolutely cream crackered at the moment. Um, Go on, tell them why you told me. <laughs> Don't be shy. Well, uh, specifically in the last hour, I, 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 I've I've spent uh, dancing to the Wiggles with a little absorber off. Oh, you, you um, told me that your your child and partner were out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what. There'd be worse ways to get a workout than sticking on uh, the wiggles for yourself. Because those guys do not stop moving. (laughs) No. Aren't they like... (laughs) How old are they? They're definitely older than us. Well, they they just have a sort of... uh, rotation system in place at this point. When one of them gets too old, they'll just bring in a new model. Right, okay. Wow. Uh, maybe we could apply. Yeah, next next time one of them's retiring, if they do open casting, yeah. we should definitely go for yeah. it. They'd have to hire both of us, right, to count as one wiggle. No, it'd be like one of those awkward moments on The X Factor where we go in as a group and then they say, oh, right. David, you're, you're all the talent, but Matt, Matt's dead weight. You, you've got to choose. <laughs> you know. Oh, that would be a tough choice. That would be a very tough choice. In a few years, when you're for the Wiggles and I'm sat outside, homeless, and I'm like, I used to work with him back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, rather than being a Wiggle, I'd I'd want to be Captain Feathersword. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with him. Uh, I mean, he's a pirate. He's got a uh, feather duster sword. Yeah. Which he tickles people with. And he'll turn up about, you know... Maybe once or twice an episode. Mm-hmm. You know, crack a few jokes, maybe do a little dance, and then he's on his way. You know, I feel that's the dream role, so, rather than being a, a standard wiggle. So he's not like a villain character. Oh, no, not at all. Right. He's very much a friend. I don't think there are any villains in the Wiggles world. I think everybody is a friend. See, if, if it was me, I'd like to be Robbie Rotten out of Lazy Town. <laughs> You know, just like a, yeah. an, a, an attempted villain mm-hmm. who's always foiled. Yeah, right. I, it's, a, it's a good role we're, to have. We're already hitting a groove this week, aren't we? <laughs> oh, certainly. Uh, uh, we haven't discussed, uh, we haven't mentioned what we are going to be discussing this week, um, which is a little episode, episode called uh, Twice Upon a Time. Mm. Yes, we have we have the small matter of uh, Peter Capaldi's regeneration to uh, yeah. contend with later on. Um, all in good time. All in good time. Uh, where where should we go first then, Matt? Um, I'll I'll be honest. I don't want to do mm-hmm. television highlight of the week this week. 
Why is that? I, I thought we could just take a second to acknowledge the passing of Sean Locke instead. Uh, yes, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, I It was like being hit by a truck when I heard yeah, that. Yeah, it was com- completely out of the blue, wasn't it? Mm. Um, but what what an amazing talent he was. Yeah. Um, and he, his... His kind of fingerprints are all over this pod. His influence is here, isn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, it, I would, do, I would give my left leg to be, a, you know, a tenth as quick-witted, and and as off the cuff hilarious as Sean Locke is. Um, but the the, the the most frustrating thing about it is, in addition to being so good in an improvisational setting his scripted material mm. was brilliant um a lot of people unfortunately are still not familiar with the uh, sitcom he did for the bbc um must be getting on for nearly 20 years ago at this point um called 15 stories high mm. I, I think this week that's had a bit of a yeah. renaissance i think well about bloody time because it is uh, i would argue the best sitcom of the 21st century really so far it, it is it is so perfect mm. it is flawless it's two series of just sean Locke, and he, he actually co-wrote it with uh, mark lamar yes so it's yeah. it's a sort of joint vision of theirs but it is you can tell it is exactly what they wanted it to be yeah it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea but it is so laser focused in what it sets out to do and every single episode has me just laughing like a loon at the most minute things see when when i first started seeing who is now my wife um she used to work late on a friday yeah so the arrangement was always that she'd come to my house on a friday i'd cook tea and we'd watch Cats Does Countdown together. Ah, nice. So, like, I have really, really fond memories mm. of it. And, yeah, I've spent a lot of time watching, like, Greatest Hits clips this week, and it's just... If you haven't seen the scene where he's the Riddler out of Batman, <laughs> you're missing out. That's, like, oh, yeah, that, absolute genius. I forget which set it is. It's one of his stand-up sets. It's kind of like the climax of that. It's so good. But that's the thing, yeah. like, for, for someone, you can have you can have comedians who are great at off-the-cuff stuff. Um, you can have comedians who are great at sketch comedy or great at stand-up or, you know, great at writing sitcoms uh, or performing in them. Sean Locke was good at all of that. Yeah. There was no aspect of comedy where he didn't excel. Um, yeah. and, and incredible I mean, talent. It's such a basic premise, but carrot in a box. <laughs> it is it's genius. <laughs> Just absolute genius. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Sean Locke's work, um, I, I, you know, just whack his name into Google, uh, into YouTube. And... Yeah, there's so many compilations gone out yeah. from Channel 4 this week. Yeah. And each one of them's absolutely cracking. Yeah. And you know what? I'm, another really obscure bit of Sean Locke's back, back catalogue that most people won't be aware of. It was a very slight thing. It was a it, it was a bit of a failed format. He did a, a series called TV Heaven, Telly Hell. Did you watch that, Matt? I, I've seen it, yeah. 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 
it was a, I think it was a real shame that never got another series because it was basically Room 101, but just telly. Just TV, yeah. And the, some of the clips they would dig up were, was brilliant, but it was really underpinned by Sean Locke's his attitude to hosting it. He because he is not a natural host. He is not a Jimmy Carr no. type figure. So there was a really sort of avuncular quality to it. Um yeah, he was just fantastic. Um so, yeah, so sorely missed. And my number one recommendation, if anyone's got the time for it, like I say, it's only twelve episodes all in, but fifteen stories high is it's genius. It's, it's yeah. It is genuinely a work of absolute genius, and and deserves to be held in the same esteem, if not higher, as things like Peep Show and um, any other British sitcom of the last twenty years that you know care to mention. So, there you go. Um, yeah, I think that that more that more than covers it for TV this week. So. Um, mm. So where do you want to go? Uh, Meal of the week, or yeah. would I lie to who? Let's talk about food a little bit. Um, okay. Tell me, Matt, what did you have for breakfast today? Uh, I had the remnants of last night's apple crumble. Now, I said before... We've been here before. I was half expecting this, yeah. yeah. Pudding for breakfast. I mean, you've taken it to a really literal level there, <laughs> yeah. haven't you? <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I mean, and it's... It with, Vanilla ice cream. I didn't heat the crumble up, just had it cold. Vanilla ice cream. But then I sprinkled a little bit of sweet cinnamon on my ice cream. Uh, I mean, it sounds lovely. I just don't think I could be facing that first thing in the morning. No, like, um, bre- breakfast for me is just the best meal. I mean, I, I, I guess in some ways you could argue it's not a million miles away from saying... An apple Danish or something. No, exactly. But I don't know. <laughs> the idea of crumble for breakfast, oh, just, I, it doesn't click with me. Fine no. line between genius and insanity, Dave. <laughs> like... <laughs> and you have merrily skipped over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, so for, for me, for breakfast, it, I've just been talking about, you know, how I don't really approve of pudding for breakfast, but my partner was insistent. Uh, it was a croissant in a can morning for us. Ah, oh, nice. Nice. And do you know what I had in my croissant, Matt? Just uh, for little, you. little bit of marmite, a little bit of butter. <laughs> I wish. No, I had a little bit of knockoff Nutella, a.k.a. Natoka. Oh, you've been into Natoka as well. Yeah. Uh, this this week, uh, uh, there's no nice way to say it. Yeah. I've spent far too much time with my mother-in-law. <laughs> right. Right. More more than I would ever choose to. Uh, but we went to Pateley Bridge. Oh yes. A little ride out. Yeah. Now Pateley Bridge is basically famous because it's got Britain's oldest sweet shop. Mm-hmm. So every other shop is a sweet shop sort of riding on the coattails of Britain's oldest sweet shop. You, you wouldn't think that that would have much success because everyone want if you're going to go to a town that has Britain's oldest sweet shop, you'll mm-hmm. want to go to that one. And once you've been in a sweet shop, that's surely it. that's it. You're all sweet shopped out. Well, whilst we were there, I didn't realise there's like a little art gallery Right. And it, I, I hadn't planned it, but the exhibition was of movie posters. Oh, nice. So I was like, oh, I'd really like to do that. 
But no, we couldn't because my mother-in-law wanted to go to the fishmongers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. looking at a load of dead fish, that's almost as good as like classic movie posters, right? I waited outside in a sulk. <laughs> Uh, but I did go. I did go to Britain's oldest sweet shop. And, yeah. Uh, bought myself did... some spearmint chews. Yeah. And they're, I, they're an underrated sweet. I was going to say, um, presumably, if it's Britain's oldest sweet shop, all the sweets are out of date. No, no, no. They don't it's have not, Britain's it's, oldest it's not, sweets. It's not a shop that sells Britain's <laughs> oldest sweet. Cad. Yeah. Um, they should. Anyway, that's they, a good gimmick. Somebody should do that. Get, getting back to the story in hand. Yes. Um, we went to a, like, pancake house, cafe place. Right. And the amount of Nutella being used there was obscene. <laughs> it was like cement mixers of Nutella just being poured over waffles, mm. over crepes. So I can believe it. Out, out of stubbornness, I just had a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> No Nutella for me, please. Uh, but also, whilst I was in Pateley Bridge, mm-hmm. uh, there is a little market sitting area place mm-hmm. where, with flowers and it had been decorated. And all the flower beds were in the shape of a TARDIS. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah, I suppose for some people. I just, <laughs> I just made a mental note. I was like, I suppose I better talk to David about that. Uh, but yeah, Pateley Bridge was quite nice. Yeah, it's a nice enough place. Uh, but off off the back of that, mm-hmm. like I say, because I'd spent so much time with my mother-in-law, the following day, I thought I'm going to have a day out by myself. Just like a treat day, you know, get my headspace just perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I drove through to York, um, just just for a little meander about. Yep. But I timed it so perfectly that when I arrived, I don't know if you're familiar with Brew and Brownie in York. I don't think I am, no. So it's a shop. It does exactly what it says. It sells coffee and brownies. Yeah. You, you'd be hard-pressed to find it where there isn't a queue down the street. It's pretty uh, well-renowned. One of those, right. So yeah. like the, the brownies are absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I got a, in fact, it was a blondie that I got. I got a Biscoff blondie, and I bought my wife a Terry's chocolate orange brownie. Very nice. Which I ate in the car on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when, when, I, when I'd parked in York, I walked through the museum gardens, and just by chance, it was like five to nine, and there was no queue for brew and brownie. Ah. So nice. I was like, this is it. I'm just going to go. Uh, so, yeah, that's my meal of the week. I had a lovely Eggs Benedict and a black coffee from Brew and Brownie. It, like, just the fact I managed to get into Brew and Brownie was impressive enough, mm. but the food's unreal. I'm very jealous of that. Mm. I've said before, like, breakfast is my perfect meal out. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd have a, you know... Sit in breakfast uh, over lunch or or dinner. Well, that's but, it. Um, I, I kind of thought if I arrive then, I can probably you know get a Starbucks 
cup of coffee and something mm-hmm. to eat and go around the shops. But when I saw there was no queue there, I was just yeah, like, you had to take it straight yeah. in, straight yeah. in. Well then, um, and how does that stack up against your meal of the year? Um, I don't know. It's going to take something really special to beat mm-hmm. my meal of the year. I mean, it's my yeah. birthday coming up in a couple of months. That might do it. But it, it certainly, I would probably put it in my top five of the year just because it was like a nice day. The sun was shining. It was just lovely. And it had that, that extra sprinkling of serendipity. Yeah. just Which is a nice feeling. The stars aligned and I had this lovely mm. little breakfast. What about well, you? What about your meal of the week? No contest for me this week. Um, I mean, the, my, for context, my, my runner-up was the Tullox Carabao wafer that I was scoffing moments before we hit record yeah. this week. Um, so my meal of the week was kindly provided by the lovely folk over at the Jaipur Spice. Oh, nice. Now, I've uh, I've experimented okay. with my, uh, my standard order in the past with mixed results, but I thought today I'm going to go not with my usual order, but what tends to be my backup. Okay. Which is a vegetable biryani. Because I just fancied the rice, you know. Yeah. I'm not always big on rice. I don't, you know, because I, I love naan bread, so I don't tend to, like, feel like I, I need rice as well, necessarily. Um, but I, I just fancied a biryani, so I went for that. Um, the usual sag paneer as a side. Um, usual garlic naan as well, because uh, I can't not. And uh, just to go all out, I also got a, a uh, onion bhaji. Oh, nice. Which was, oh, I don't always get them. And every time I do get them, I'm like, why do I not always get them? I love onion bhajis. Yeah. Yeah. They're so good. Um, so, I mean, no surprises, really. I've talked, I've waxed lyrical about the Jaipur Spice on many an occasion. Um, they, 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 just make just instant joy as far as I'm concerned. Um, having said that, I don't think it's I don't think it's topping me you know meal of the year for me because again, like you said, uh, it's going to take something special. You know, having a day out with my dad doesn't get more special than that for me, mm-hmm. um, especially under the circus. So. Um, but having, but it was very nice. It was very nice, and it was, and an added bonus was watching Little Absorbaloff, who is not is not a fussy eater by any means. But like, there'll be days when he's just too distracted to really focus on eating. But he was in the zone with that meal. He was oh, trying. Really? He was trying everything. Oh, good. A little bit of chicken korma, um, courtesy of my partner. Uh, he was all about the bhaji as well. I think the Baji was the standout for him. Uh, the one thing that he didn't... He gave it a go, but uh, very quickly rejected the sag paneer. See, I, I've had some good meals this week. Yeah. I, I went to my wife's uh, nana's house, and we had fish and chips. And the fish was like an a 4 size sheet of paper of fish. Right. lovely. And then last night, underrated meal, I think, chicken Kiev. 
haven't had a chicken Kiev in years. Mm. I, my abiding memory of chicken Kievs is that they they sound fantastic, but in reality, what tended to happen was that they would leak during the cooking process, and you'd end up with just this very dry lump of processed chicken. Right. And, so, so here's and a what, sort of little puddle. Here's what you do. Cook mm-hmm. them in a Pyrex like baking dish thing. Yeah. So that when the garlic butter seeps out, it's caught. And then when I plated mine up, I just poured it over the top of the chicken Kiev. I see. Keeps it nice and moist. Mm. But that only comes with years of chicken Kiev like experience. I can see how it would. I'm I'm curious about chicken. That's one of those ones where I'm like, how how did this come to be? Yeah. Like there are so many steps along the way to get to the end result of it. And like, is it something that were, that actually has any kind of Russian connection, or is it just some some like bloke from Glasgow in 1972 yeah. invented well, it? The, I always think that there's loads of foods like that, like meringue. Yeah. Who thought? I'm going to cook some eggs, but just the white bit. Then I'm going to chuck mm-hmm. some sugar in. Then I'm going to whisk it to stiff peaks. A very, very it. specific consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just behave. Just make an omelette. <laughs> <laughs> so, should we move into Would I Lie to Who? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Well, it's a good one this week. Because you're doing it. No, no, no. Not just that. Okay. Because this week's Would I Lie to Who is another special one, David, Mm -hmm. that we're going to call Family Funeral Fun. I'm all ears. Okay. So this week, earlier in the week, I went to a family funeral. I think I mentioned on pod last week. Mm-hmm. Um, you did. You know, funeral... Condolences, by the way. That's oh, all right. I don't think I said that last week. So better late than never, eh? It's, what, it's one on my wife's side. It's all right. <laughs> okay. But, as we know, funerals are a, a sad occasion, David. Yes. Except this one, because I couldn't stop laughing. So, <laughs> David, okay. what was I laughing at at the funeral? Okay. Was it... A, that the church played the wrong song and made it somewhat inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Was it B, that the stained glass window had a weird perspective that made Jesus look like he had giant hands? <laughs> or was it C, there was a lady there who had the longest neck I'd ever seen? <laughs> okay, um... There's not a lot of follow-up needed, but I do need to ask, what was the song? And right. what should it have been? Right. Are you familiar with Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds? Not intimately, but I have heard it. Okay. Once or twice. Well, there's a song called Forever Autumn. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know. It, it It's about losing someone, admittedly, at the hands of a Martian invasion. Mm-hmm. But I think that was the intended song. That was going to be right. played. Certainly, when we sat down and we were given the order of service, it said "Forever Autumn." It didn't say by Jeff Wayne; it was by whoever sings it. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I got a bit excited. I was like, oh, a bit of War of the Worlds. And then when it started, it wasn't Forever Autumn. It was a song called Farewell Thunderchild, <laughs> which, which is about the sinking of a submarine at the hands of some Martians. <laughs> I was well into it. I was hoping they'd go right back to the beginning. The chances of anything coming from Mars were a million to one, they said. I'd have loved it, but yeah, they they quickly realised and corrected and changed the song. Right. Um, okay. Because we were in a tiny little like village church, mm-hmm. so there weren't like a choir. It was played from a CD, I imagine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's plausible, but it is the sort of thing you'd expect to happen in a in a sitcom. So, I'm going to rule it out for being slightly too perfect. Okay. I'm going to go with the most obvious childish op- option, and the thing that probably would have had me giggling the most as well, and that's uh, Big Hands Jesus. Yeah. It looked like he was reaching out to me, but because <laughs> of the weird perspective... It just had giant hands. Yeah, no, I, I that's it. That's the one for me. Um, so, d- do do let me know, Matt. Okay. Well, the reason I was laughing at the funeral, David. Yeah. Was because there was a lady with the longest neck I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, perhaps the most puerile option, but yeah. She, she looked like a character from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> like I've I've never seen anything like it. It was mm. like someone had drawn a face on a thumb. <laughs> like, I don't know how long my neck is. Like, good four, five, six inches. Mm-hmm. I'd estimate hers to be eight to ten. I, I just yeah. couldn't stop staring, David. I, I, it, it was like a diplodocus was something. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah. I, it's the trouble, isn't it, with those kinds of gatherings, especially when, as you say, it's not it's you know your your wife's side of the family, so maybe not someone that you're personally especially close to, and best will in the world, most funerals are incredibly boring. Yeah. Like they are, they are somber occasions. They're very important. I I'm not saying they're bad, but. Unless you are one of the select few for whom it is a, a really necessary cathartic ritual, if you're just one of the uh, you know additional people dragged along as, as, as moral support... Yeah, very much this week. Then, yes, nothing for your brain to do for like two hours. <laughs> and so you do start fixating on any tiny thing. I'll I tell you what I don't like. And this yeah. this might this might win me some enemies, mm. okay. And there's a Doctor Who link here, Peter Davison. I don't like the theme, the hymn, "All Things Bright and Beautiful." Oh. Like w- when you've gone yeah. through it, like you sing a verse, mm-hmm. and then you think it's finished, and it's all things bright, and then you're like, right, we're going again, we're going again. <laughs> then you sing another verse, yeah, all things bright. You're just like, how, how many verses has that hymn got? And it's the chorus, interminable. The chorus never changes. Mm. So I, I started like mixing it up, getting really enthusiastic, really <laughs> going for the like, all things bright and beautiful, just mm-hmm. to like 
tied myself over. My favourite thing about it, well, I've got two. Uh, one is the Monty Python version, All Things Dull and Ugly, <laughs> which is a, a beautiful counterbalance to that hymn. Um, and also, having spent more than my fair share of time in churches over the years, I'm I'm a big fan of old blokes who know the tenor parts to hymns. Oh, yeah. That, it, would, I, it would just yeah, it would just start singing the counterpoint melody, like, and, and it would just be who, one or two dotted over the congregation, but they really give it some welly. Like, where do they learn this? Like, <laughs> like the, the vicar wasn't like, oh, when we get to the chorus, can you just go down a bit? Whereas <laughs> you over here, like I, I've sung in my school choir, yeah, and and it's a monumental effort getting stuff like that right. Yeah, and then then we're there. And I'm like going, all things. And there's some woman behind me going, all things, bro. And I'm just like, all right. Bloody hell, calm down. Simon Cowell's not here. And she's just like, all things, bro. Oh, God. I've already said to my wife, when it's my turn, just fly tip me around the back of Asda. (laughs) Just dump me in a hedge and... You know. Be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been gen- genuinely very clear with my partner and all other other family members. I absolutely want my body to be donated to science. I do not care if I end up on a slab with some first year medical student inexpertly hacking away at my kidneys just to see what's inside. Mm. I do not give two shits because. I have used. I, I am done with that body. It has no further benefit to me. And if it can help someone learn how to fix people, that seems like a good use of it. At that point, um, so yeah, no, I, 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 I get why people need funerals, but I've got no interest in it no. personally. Um, but anyway, yeah. On that happy note, <laughs> yeah. Shall we? Um, I guess somewhat appropriately. Is it, is it time to start talking about uh, Twice Upon a Time? Yeah. Yeah. Now, be- before we get too far into it, David. Yes? I have some bad news. What is that? Are, are you sat down? Cause I, I am I sat down. I don't want to knock you off your feet. Mm-hmm. Sadly, this week, there's no tweet from Marty McLean. Oh, Marty... I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he's up to. He's out there doing good in the world. But it was Matt. It was only a matter of time before he flew the nest. I know. He's, you know, he's striking out on his own, and uh, we I, I, we just need to be. We need to be. We need to be happy for him at this point. I just want him to know that we still love him. We do, and he. Any time, any time, Marty, you want to come back. Give us a tweet or two. Give us your thoughts about um, uh, the Saranga conundrum or w- whatever. You know, let us know. We'll be there for you. Don't let yourself go. <laughs> Everybody cries. Every. Body hurts. <laughs> Some.
You've been doing a lot of singing this week, Matt. Now, just quick yes or no, David. Do you think James Swift was swift this week? I'm going to say no. James Swift was not swift this week. Ah, oh, James, you're letting us down. Do you want to say hello to Lydia, who was swift this week? Hi, Lydia. Okay. Lydia says, I like it. It's mellow and bittersweet. I really like the tie-in to the historical event. That was new to me, so it's really cool. As much as I loved the Doctor's final speech, it felt like it went on a tad too long. Mostly because I got really tired from bawling by the end. <laughs> hmm. Cool tweet, bro. What's next? There we go. Uh, we got a a new tweeter this week, oh, David. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Scotty Prime. Do you want to say hello to Scotty Prime? Hello, Scotty Prime. Okay. He says, Matt Gatiss is wonderful in this. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the sum total. That's it. That's great. I think it's something that needs saying. Not everybody would think to say it. So, excellent. Uh, cool tweet, bro. What's next? Okay, next up is Amy. Say hello, David. Hello, Amy. Amy says, I think it's beautiful. I love the scene with the first Doctor and Bill talking about why he left Gallifrey. I love 12, saying the universe generally fails to be a fairy tale, but that's where we come in. I love the mm-hmm. speech about the long li- about a long life being a battlefield, and I love 12's regen speech. Yeah. Cool tweet, bro. What's next? Okay. Well, what's next is the lovely parade we're having, David. It's about to be rained on. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm ready for this. Here comes Frank. Hello, Frank. I really wish I could see what everyone else does. I try over and over to like it, but each time I just hate it more. There have been worst episodes in the past, but the last episode of an era being such a poorly written and poorly executed mess... Hugely disappointing. Yeah, I'm not surprised that we had someone voicing the, uh, the you know, at the other end of that spectrum. Uh, it's fair to say, Matt, this is a divisive one. We'll talk more about that, I think, as we go on. Um, but yes, uh, anyway, cool tweet, bro. What's next? Ah, uh, we have another tweet from Scotty Prime. Hello again, so, Scotty. That- that first message wasn't as abrupt as it seemed. It's just put them in a weird order on Twitter. He says it has its haters, but he loves it. Mm-hmm. Sure, the first Doctor is mainly there for comic relief, but Capaldi is electric, and his farewell to Bill and Nardole is, and then he's put crying emojis. Mm. Also, we get a trip round the first Doctor's TARDIS, so unmissable, really. Yep, cool tweet, bro. What's next? Okay. After all those tweets, David, lagging behind in, what are we on, fourth place? Mm -hmm. It's James Swift. Hi, James. He says, I always felt like the fans are a bit harsh on this one. Personally, I love it. It's a nice little ending for Capaldi. It has my favourite Mark Gatiss acting. I like how we get him fighting Toby Whithouse, and we even get an Empty Child reference, bringing Moffat full circle. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, cool tweet, bro. What's next? Okay, then we have other James. James Courtney. 
are, as he's now known on Twitter, James Swifter Than Swift. <laughs> Not this week, by the sounds of it. Not this week, no, no. Okay, he says, It's a nice epilogue to the era. David Bradley is a lot of fun as the first Doctor. Peter Capaldi's hair is fantastic. He says, I know fans complain about the portrayal of the first Doctor, and quite frankly, that is the most important thing. You could absolutely recut this story into a 1960s episode. And in fact, I have. Ooh. James? That's exciting. Can you email that to David? Yes, I'm very interested to see that. <laughs> yeah. All you need to do, just put it in the recycle bin on your computer, <laughs> and it'll get to him one way or another. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say how lovely the start is 700 episodes ago. I was disappointed to discover that the novelisation kept the 700 episodes and not 100 books ago. Hmm. And then we get Jodie. The show feels different right away. Onwards to a new era. Cool tweet, bro. What's next? Okay, final tweet of the week, David. Right. Okay, it comes from BT Flibbity Giggard. Hello there, BT. Um, so, I'm I guess I need to ask that. Oh, uh, is, it, is, is BT Salt going to make the cut this week? Uh, or have we got another... Um... I don't know. Have you got a dice to hand? <laughs> Actually, I do. Uh, what? How many sides would you like it to be? Um, let's go for... Just a D20. D20. Can do. Okay. I got a 19... <laughs> Okay. Do you want me to re-roll? No, no. So if this takes longer than 19 minutes, we'll edit it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Right. Just gonna just gonna take a little sip of juice before I start. Ah, right. Now, this is an interesting one. A bit of background. Rumour has it that this episode wasn't actually supposed to exist. Moffat planned for 12 to regenerate at the end of The Doctor Falls and for the 2017 Christmas special to be the first Jodie episode. Chibnall wanted more time to prepare for his first season as showrunner and Moffat wanted to keep up the Christmas special tradition, so we got this. Nobody knows if these rumours are actually true, of course, but I kind of believe them considering how tacked on this episode feels. That being said, I still like this episode more than is probably reasonable. It's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird episode in that it deals with Twelve's era, Moffat's time as showrunner, and the show itself almost completely in meta. I don't know whether we can count this as an actual part of the show at all. To be honest, it's the kind of episode only a show like Doctor Who could do, dealing with the central character, not as in-universe person, but as a character. That exists within a powerful fiction. Then again, I don't think a showrunner beside Moffat would do this either. It has his fascination with stories and fairy tales written all over it. The opening is incredibly weird from an in-universe perspective if you look at Doctor Who as a universe in and of itself. This implies that the Doctor separates his own life into the same episodic format that we've been watching for over 50 years. And then there's the testimony harvesting the memory of the living at the moment of their deaths, turning characters like Bill and Nardole into fictions, even within the context of the show. 
it's incredibly Moffat, were all stories in the end, turned literal. And I can see why it doesn't work for some people. I like it. It's weird and wonky and doesn't quite fit. But when has Doctor Who ever worked in its own context? The Doctor has like five origin stories throughout the various forms of media. Why shouldn't he be fictionalised even within his own perspective? It's the fact that we're working on a meta-narrative rather than a strictly narrative level that lets me forgive the first Doctor's completely wonky characterization. At least a little. Look, I love one with all my heart. He has an amazing, if accidental, character arc, starting as a weird old guy who kidnaps school teachers and tries to knock in cavemen brains with big rocks and ending up transforming into a genuine hero who will stay to fight the baddies because they must be fought. If narrative logic applied, we should be seeing one at the very end of his arc, but since we're working on a meta-narrative level, this is more of an abstraction of one, a combination of all his episodes, vaguely remembered in our collective fan memory, not to mention a massive dose of 1960s sensibilities, as seen through a 2017 lens. That question, in my opinion, is, why is Doctor Who the show it is? Why does it keep going beyond its logical conclusion? William Hartnell becoming too ill to work would have been a logical conclusion. The main character needing to die or be recast has killed plenty of shows over the years. The show's cancellation in 89 would have been a logical conclusion, but instead, fans kept the narrative itself going, first through unofficial means like BBV, and later through the books and Big Finish. Even Moffat leaving the show could have been a logical conclusion. The BBC didn't have an heir apparent showrunner ready in the same way as RTD to Moffat, and Chibnall really had to be convinced to take on the role. And yet, narrative of Doctor Who soldiers on. A literally unkillable character, and a concept despite, you know, real life. Twice Upon a Time also embraces and interrogates the contradictions in the Doctor's character. That scene where testimony shows one his future is absolutely masterful, in my opinion. Most of the time, the show politely pretends that the Doctor's always been this historic, almost messianic figure. But throughout the years, he's done some really messed up shit. Oh, sorry for the bad language there. I'll edit that out. Both as an intentional move by the writers and because of less stellar writing. Having one see and reject, that is one of the few moments where one feels really in character to me. He's a weird wanderer who found his heroism over his three seasons. And that scene absolutely reflects that about him. It also reflects the fandom, always so certain of the Doctor's character when the show itself has gone through countless phases of evolution before ending up here. It works, and I love it. I'm a sucker for anything involving the World War I Christmas truce, and the way Moffat uses it to answer the questions he poses really works for me here. When asked why Doctor Who continues on, why regeneration was a narrative contrivance that stuck, why we keep coming back to Doctor Who despite its ups and downs on the production side of things, the answer is simple. Sometimes stories get out of the writer's hands and become more than the sum of their parts. Doctor Who fans have always had to deal with Technobabble and Deus Ex Machinas and the show has responded by embracing those, uh, those tale logic more than anything else. The trick to being a Doctor Who fan is embracing the fairy tale. 
I've still got like four tweets to go. This just keeps going. Amazing. Uh, hold on. Hold on, because now I've lost <clears> my <throat> place. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, Twelve's regeneration speech runs on the same meta-logic that dictates the rest of the episode. His instructions to his future regeneration have more to do with the story we tell ourselves about the Doctor than the Doctor as a character, but that's perfectly appropriate. Of course, the Doctor's been cruel and cowardly and unkind over the years, but both the show and the character within the show strive not to be, and Twelve's striving has been more obvious than others. Of course, Moffat incorporates Capaldi's snap answer about the Doctor's real name. The narrative of Doctor Who is created by fans turned creators, and Capaldi's been a fan for longer than most. Not to mention that at its core, Doctor Who's best and most loyal fans are children, able to be swept away by the narrative without devolving into nitpicking and pedantry. Laugh hard, run fast, be kind. Doctor Who in a nutshell. Humour, action, heart. Everything else is icing. Doctor, I let you go. Now on to the next adventure. And then BT signs off by saying, I've been so wordy that in my tweets I keep getting lost in a weird way. Just, oh no, that's just instructions for me reading Twitter. In case <laughs> it goes in a wonky order. So yeah. Was that 19 minutes? <laughs> Not quite, I don't think. Uh, well done. Uh, Matt for reading all of that and uh, well done BT for being as always far more articulate and deep in thought than I am on this podcast um, yeah. he, he is the curator I'm adamant <laughs> of it <laughs> you need to change your avatar to it on Twitter yeah yeah um, yeah but uh, yeah cool tweet bro and I mean that uh, most sincerely. So um, it's time then, Matt. Uh, we've heard what other people make of this uh, episode, but how are you going to rank twice upon a time? It, it depends. Okay. Because I'm either going to say bad episode, some good bits, mm. or good episode, some bad bits. Right. The, the good bits are pretty much most of the performances, and the bad bit is the plot. What, because there isn't one? Yeah. <laughs> or, or they hint that there is one, and then at the end they go, surprise, nah, move on. Mm. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. For me, it's very solidly in the good episode, some bad bits camp. Um, right. Well, we'll go with that then. That can be our official rating. Okay. Yeah. It's not perfect, but I think its aims are admirable. Its execution is mostly spot on. And uh, I don't think I don't think of this as a standard Doctor Who story. For for one, it's a Christmas special. Christmas specials, you you have to cut a bit of slack to begin with. I think. Because it, they're not pitched in the same way as a series finale or something is. Uh, and secondly, this isn't really a story in its own right. What this is, is uh, a coda, an epilogue. You know. Um, and it has that sort of tone where it's... I, I like a good epilogue. You know, you've you've had the action, you've had the drama, you've had the 
the Sturm und Drang. And now you're at this point where you just kind of need to just breathe out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. That's what it does. It, it gives you an opportunity to kind of ponder upon everything that has come before. Both in, in recent terms in the show, but also like with this very long lens looking at pretty much the entire history of the show as well. Um, it's also, I think... I'm, I, I like that it, it acts as a very good bookend for the Moffat era as a whole because it displays all of the best and worst aspects of him as a writer. <laughs> like, there's all of his, his quirks in particular, thing, uh, things that he does particularly well, but also some of the pitfalls, I think, are there as well and, and and that feels oddly appropriate to me that his final episode should be so uninhibitedly moffaty so would you say that this episode is necessary because that seemed to be the criticism that it's just a bit of unnecessary mm. fluff you I... know, we, we know the doctor's going to regenerate yeah do we need to waste an hour watching it happen? Okay, so you could definitely for uh, uh, imagine a scenario in which the Doctor, you know, the Bill Bill Date takes the Doctor back to his TARDIS at the end of the Doctor Falls, and the Doctor does more or less the same speech that we get at the end of this episode, then regenerates, and nothing has been lost theoretically. But what you do miss out on is, I think, a really charming meditation on the power of story and the power of memory, mm-hmm. which is a, which are very f- fundamental themes to Doctor Who and other themes as well that I think are very important to Doctor Who, which we'll, we'll touch on as, as this episode does as well. But it, it, it's, it draws together a lot of big ideas and weaves it into this very, very delicate tapestry that is essentially, yeah, it's it, it's light on story. It's it, without a shadow of a doubt. It's not a big dramatic finale, but we don't need that. We just had that. I like that we get this opportunity to just take a step back and think and laugh and cry and feel. And then move on. If you compare it to the time of the Doctor, Max Smith's regeneration story, which is this frantic attempt to tie up all the loose ends of his era and then also have a knockabout Christmas story on top of that. <laughs> and it's this big, you know, it, it, it's too busy. You know, there are too many moving parts in that story. And and here we've got the, the almost the exact opposite. In that it it feels very light and spacious. Um and, and I actually really appreciate that about it. But I get why some people don't like it and some people actually very vehemently dislike it. Mm-hmm. It it does polarise people. And again, that's perfect for a Moffat for for, for Moffat signing off. He needs to be putting a few people people's noses out of joint because that's something that's characterised his era as well. You know, he's not afraid 
to take big swings and upset a few people in the process. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like it. I do like it. But it's not perfect. Oh. Um, so, let us then, uh, let's get stuck into it. Right, so this is Twice Upon a Time mm. from the 25th of December, 2017. Yeah. Now, this, interestingly, if my maths is right, yes, is the last episode released before we started our podcast. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, Did we what, start it before Jodie's first... What's her first... Is that the woman who fell to earth? Yes. Right, now that was released on... Uh, the 7th of October, and I'm certain we were the 18th of September, so two weeks before. Yeah, because I do recall you've early on saying you'd watched the Series 11 trailer and stuff. So, yeah. Well, how exciting. That's, yeah. a miles- that's you know, milestones upon milestones. End of an era in more than one way. Mm, yeah. Um, and yes, and you, you, you've neglected to mention, cause I th- just because I think you got sidetracked by the date, um, uh, directed by Rachel Talalay. Yeah, always uh, excellent. Yeah, and sadly, this is her last episode of Doctor Who today. She'll She's... be back. Mm, I hope so. They all come crawling back. <laughs> um, but yeah, what I think she's you know she she's directed every one of Capaldi's finales, mm-hmm. and I think has made made a huge contribution to to shaping the tone of his era and the impact of his era. So that's maybe something we can talk about in more depth a little bit uh, next week. But Yeah. I, I forgot to say, next week, obviously, is our wrap-up mm. episode. If, not looking at anyone in particular, BT flippity giggered, <laughs> but if you have a lot of thoughts, can you email them to us rather than Twitter? Because then we can pepper them through instead of doing one big block. Because mm. Though... we're going to be darting from topic to topic, aren't we? Yeah, though having said that, by the time this episode releases... You'll have 24 hours. <laughs> You'll have, yeah, probably about 24 hours. I'll um, put a message up on Twitter, don't worry. Yeah. But... Um, yeah. But anyway... Especially if your name's Marty McLean. Can you just get in touch? We just want to know you're safe. Yeah, that's all. That's all. Okay. Right, let's do this. Yeah. So this begins 709 episodes ago. Great start already, isn't it? Come on, that's a lot, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and that's not to the beginning of the show. That's to the end of the first Doctor's era. You know, like, what are we on here? Like, episode Mm 140-something. And then we've done a couple where we've watched random things. So we're not even like quarter of the way through. We've been doing this for nearly three years. Yeah, if you if you wanted to for us us to cover all of Classic Who on this show, we're looking at adding another sort of five years onto, onto it. Yeah. All right, we can celebrate uh, my fortieth birthday by catching up. Oh jeez. Um. <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah. We're at the ending of the 10th planet. We are, yeah. If only you'd showed me that episode, you sly dog. <laughs> You've done it again. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. So, it's a long time ago at the South Pole where the Doctor refused to generate. Except he's refused to regenerate there twice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we see the first Doctor get a nice bit where Hartnell morphs into Bradley. Yeah. And it's... It's, it's only when that happens that you realise they don't look anything like one another. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like you, you watch, you watch an adventure in space and time. You're like, oh, that's bang on casting, perfect. But yeah, when you see the transition, it's like, oh no, you really do have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. But um, okay, let's just upfront address the. F- Some people basically are just not happy to have David Bradley portraying the first Doctor. They think it's sort of disrespectful to William Hartner and all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, for one. He's already been recast before, Richard Herndall in The Five Doctors. Um, so there's precedent there. And personally, I am of the opinion that if there's a story worth telling and it's done in a, in a, in a respectful way, which I think this was intended to be, um, I don't really see the harm in recasting incarnations of the doctor because basically each new actor that takes on a new incarnation of the doctor they get an opportunity to kind of define that version of the character and that's different to someone else stepping in and being like okay i am going to portray my take of this particular incarnation which is what david bradley is doing here um i feel like that's an important distinction to make and you wouldn't want it every week for sure but for a special like this, I don't see the harm in it. Did people think it was disrespectful when they cast the second Doctor? Was um, it just like nobody oh, no. cared back then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There were a few. There are a few grumbling letters to the Radio Times in early Troughton years. People sort of complaining that Doctor Who isn't the show it used to be, and it's you know they've got this stupid clown-like character now when they wanted, you know, the grandfatherly doctor back. But that was a very conscious choice to just not do the same thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it, it was a, a crucial decision in securing the longevity of the show. Because I think if they'd made the decision to replace William Hartnell with an actor who is very similar to William Hartnell and played th- the character still as a sort of, you know, slightly grumpy old prof- professor type... Mm-hmm. Um, and just that was it. That was the only way to play the Doctor. I don't think it would have survived more than a handful of additional years, you know. It was by basically opening it up and being like, OK, we'll have a new actor and they can do what they like with the character, within reason. He still has to be clever. He still has to fly the TARDIS and have adventures. But beyond that... Let's just see what happens, you know. And that kind of gave it the freedom to exist in perpetuity. Anyway, uh, we're getting sidetracked. We're, we're not even, we're not even like, uh, out of the <laughs> transition from uh, into yeah. David Bradley, but, yeah. Literally on the second line of my notes. <laughs> so, this is where the first Doctor meets the Twelfth, and the Twelfth Doctor says, this is where it happens. Yeah. Okay. So... There's a nice little bit where the first Doctor doesn't like what the TARDIS looks like. Yeah. Um, 
However, seeing the first Doctor, it's the first hint we get that the Twelfth Doctor is going to accept his regeneration. Yeah. And at this point, the snow that is falling stops. Mm -hmm. And there's something very wrong with time. Okay? Yes. And this is where Gattis appears, Mm -hmm. dressed as a World One soldier. And this is probably my favourite line of the whole episode. Mm -hmm. It's where he goes, are either of you a doctor? And in the most Scottish way, Capaldi just goes, you trying to be funny? (laughs) (laughs) His delivery is just perfect on that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he goes full Glasgow, you know, doesn't he? <laughs> it's great. Okay, so we then have a little flashback after the credits to mm-hmm. 1914, where Gattis is having a face-off with a German soldier. They're both kind of in a crater. They've got pistols pointed at each other. Neither speaks the other's language. You know, I think Gattis apologises and basically says, look, it's me or you. Mm-hmm. And then time stops. So worth mentioning, the uh, the actor playing the uh, German soldier is Toby Whithouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who is another writer on uh, on yeah. the series. So it was basically Moffat kind of just getting the lads in for yeah, one's party. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, it's because it you know it was him him sort of bidding adieu to the show and I think for both of those writers it was kind of that as well it was them being like okay we've had a good innings we've had some fun made our mark probably time for us to move on as well so yeah kind of nice that I think so then a big transparent figure appears yeah seizes him and says there's been a timeline error Mm mm-hmm so this is the meeting of the Twelfth and the First Doctor has caused some sort of serious repercussion for time. Mm-hmm. Some kind of glitch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, back with the Doctors. There's a bright light and Gaius tells them that she is coming. Mm. And at this point, the transparent figure that we've seen is sort of following him, disappears. Yeah. And the first Doctor invites them all aboard his TARDIS because he hates the Twelfth Doctor's TARDIS interior. Oh, Oh, no, sorry. So so basically he's like, come come on on board my ship. And I love the line where where, um, the Twelfth Doctor's like, oh, he still calls it the ship. Because that's very much a feature of the Hartnell era. That's it. Because he's expecting them to go on his TARDIS, isn't he? Yeah, he assumes it's his. um, Because he hasn't twigged that uh, uh, 12 is is also the Doctor. Yeah. Um, So the first Doctor's TARDIS is bigger on the inside, but it's basically just like a living room, isn't it? Yeah, it's got chairs and hat stands and all kinds of paraphernalia. Um, Yes. So, yeah, when he meets... uh, when he enters the Twelfth Doctor's TARDIS, he's kind of taken aback, isn't he? Yeah, he's, does he say like, oh, I've been burgled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, um, yeah, sorry, go on. 
So we get another good line here where mm. the Doctor says, oh, you're a soldier from World War One," And Gattis is like, what, what, what do you mean, one? Gattis' yeah. performance there is just perfect. Yeah, because that, that one sentence is pretty much the summary of his character, isn't it? Yeah. Like, he's a soldier who isn't particularly enjoying his experiences at war. No, but he, but he has that sort of genuine nobility of being like, this is for the greater good, you know, which was the lie that, that those soldiers were all told. Mm. That this would kind of, this was, this was told, they, they, the phrase was genuinely, the war to end all wars. Mm. And, that you know, this would be it. And, yeah, he suddenly had this horrible, um, you know, suggestion that ah. this, this could be the first of many. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it, it's good because the scene up to that point is really sort of frantic and everyone's darting yeah. about. and speaking, Very jokey. But, yeah. but that sort of grinds it to a halt in mm. a really effective way. Yeah, and he underplays it as well. Like they don't, they don't milk it, but it they give you just enough for it to really sink in and for it to yeah just really have the impact it needs. Mm. So to help this soldier calm down, they give him a brandy, and when the first doctor realizes who Capaldi is, mm -hmm. he's, he introduces himself, says, "I'm the doctor, and this is my nurse." Before that, I've I've got to talk about one of my favourite bits of dialogue is when the first doctor's grumbling about, you know, have you been drinking this brandy? It's like, and, and the the twelfth doctor's like, oh yeah, well, two thousand years, may I, I may have had a glass or two at one point. It's been really rock and roll. Yeah. Well, speaking of rock and roll, another good line is yeah. where the first doctor's complaining about how dirty the TARDIS is. <laughs> And he says the only clean thing in here is that bloody guitar. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, from there. Uh, First Doctor is quite sexist. And Capaldi's not really cool with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that's, that's like a running theme slash joke, isn't it? About it is. The it changing is. sensibilities. Especially when... Later in the episode, Bill's reintroduced. Okay, so I feel like I might as well just... We'll hit pause here. I will say my piece on this, and then we can move on. Um, this is one of the things that that ruins this episode for some people. They they feel like it's completely disrespectful to the, to the first Doctor. He wasn't actually like that. He wasn't sexist uh, towards... Uh, other people in, in in such an overt way. There were elements that were kind of like, because of the time in which it was made, where, you know, um, he, he wasn't like openly dismissive of women. As yeah, he didn't is we watch this. an episode where he told someone to go make the coffee and that was their story arc for the whole episode? That does happen in The Tenth Planet a bit, but it's not... But it, it it's not it's not presented in that kind of a way. If that makes any sense, it's more just this is a product of the time in which it was being made, um, and people, I think people, 
perhaps were a little oversensitive in how they reacted to it uh, and felt like Moffat was attacking them, attacking an era of the show that they love, dismissing it and saying, oh, it was a load of sexist nonsense and aren't, aren't we so much better and more, um, you know, more, uh, you know, civilised now, um, which is... A bit rich coming from Moffat. I think if anybody should be patting themselves on the back for how woke they are, Moffat is not <laughs> not what wouldn't be my first choice for that. Um, ultimately, though, what I think this is a symptom of more than anything else is that Moffat cannot resist the gag. If he sees the gag, if he thinks of the gag, he writes the gag and the gag stays in the script. And that's what's happened here. He's seen an opportunity to basically for it to be a, a, a mechanism by which the 12th Doctor can be embarrassed and we can have that sort of humour and, 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 and what have you. But for some people, it, it comes across like it's, it's at the expense of the first Doctor, William Hartnell, that era of the show, and that comes across as disrespectful to, to them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not yes, over-egging it, but that's where that comes from um but yeah ultimately i think it's funny once or twice i think it 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 gets a bit tiresome towards the end of the episode i think maybe they could have cut out one or two of those moments and still had it do the job um and the other thing i will mention is i've not read this myself but paul cornell did a novelization of twice upon a time and in that apparently the first Doctor is fully aware of what he's saying, and he's saying it just to get a rise out of the Twelfth Doctor. Ah, uh, okay. So that's that is obviously Paul Cornell's head canon that he's writing into the the novelization, but that gives that's an out for people who don't like it as a as a as a sort of perversion, if you like, of of the first Doctor's character. Yeah. So anyway. Right, that's out of the way, and we'll just uh, crack on with the rest of the episode. Right. Whilst they're having that conversation, the TARDIS is winched aboard a spaceship, Mm -hmm. and they are told that the Chamber of the Dead awaits you. I love how advanced Testimony's technology is, and yet they still have to winch the TARDIS on board. They can't just transmat it. Never mind that transmat is, is a technology that I think the human race should be developing in about, I don't know, 60 years from now or something, if classic is <laughs> to be believed. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, just good old-fashioned chains and grappling hooks. Yeah, well, it makes for, like, a nice Christmas aesthetic, doesn't it, when they're all swinging around. And... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just a, it's a plot contrivance, but it's fine. <laughs> so... The first Doctor exits as Capaldi stays aboard to fix the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first Doctor is called the Doctor of War, because obviously he hasn't seen where the character of the Doctor goes. Yeah. He's taken aback by this accusation. Yes. And they're told that they can trade the soldier, played by Gattis, to see her again. Mm. And I didn't know where we were going with this. I was like, is River Song coming back one last time? Oh, and then I yeah. thought, is it going to be the Doctor's granddaughter? Susan. She, yeah, is she yeah. going to reappear? 
I thought, is it going to be Clara? And we don't know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this could go anywhere. But it's just Bill. Oh, come on. There's no just about Bill. Bill's fantastic. No, but I... It's only been one episode. <laughs> it's true. You know. It's true. I, I, I had all these big ideas, and it was just like, oh, it's just that girl from last week. She's back. I don't mind it one bit, because one of the most tragic things about The Doctor Falls is that the Doctor doesn't get a proper goodbye with Bill. No, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying I didn't want to see Bill. <laughs> I just thought... There are all mind... these directions that it could have gone in, and it's yeah. just... The, yeah, there, it, it is just... The, the, oh, that person we saw literally last week, yeah. I, I should learn by now, it, it's never Susan. <laughs> it, it always could be Susan, but it's never Susan. I will... Um... Yeah, I'm saying nothing. I'm saying nothing. You know, no. who knows? Maybe it will be Susan one time. It, it's never Susan. <laughs> okay. print, print the t-shirts. Official neither the time nor space merch. It's never Susan. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, okay, so the 12th here? Doctor appears yeah. and refuses to accept that this is Bill. Okay, he knows where Bill obviously died. Mm-hmm. And he can't accept this, okay? So he doesn't know... Uh, sorry, he asks Bill what's going on. And she doesn't know where old Star Eye is or how she got here. She just remembers being here. Yeah. Okay. So, the Twelfth Doctor wants to know who is stealing the faces of the dead. Mm. So again, we get this huge idea that someone is reanimating the dead. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give the ending away. It's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like this because because the Doctor is like, you know, the Twelfth Doctor, is he's, he's leaping into, you know, serious hero Doctor mode. Like, mm-hmm. something's wrong and I shall get to the bottom of it, you know. Um, so I like that he's... As much as he wants to accept that this is Bill... And that he gets to say his goodbye, he can't. He can't put down. He can't let down his guard, and accept a gift for what it is. You yeah. know. I think that tells you a lot about who he is and what he's been through. You know that there is this underlying uh, questioning of 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 truth. Um, yeah, he can't just accept it. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah. Okay, so at this point, the transparent figure from earlier appears. Yeah. And says that we are testimony. Yeah. And the soldier must die as history demands. Mm. He needs to be returned to the point of his death when the timeline disruption happened. So he was being removed from his timeline, but the disruption caused by the two Doctors, is what led to him being at the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the first Doctor realises that Testimony's face is asymmetrical, so she can't be computer-generated. She must be a human or mm. an organic in of some description. And I really like that moment, because it's, it's one of the few moments we get where we really get to see the first Doctor being... The Doctor. Um, yeah, being a bit investigative. And... 
Yeah, and uh, and doing it old school, like you know, he has that little bickery moment where you know the Doctor's waggling his sonic screwdriver around, and obviously Hartnell is pre Sonic, mm-hmm. um, and then he's got the sonic sunglasses on, and 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 you know, uh, the first Doctor is just like, just just look at her, just look at them, this woman, you know, you can see that it's not can't just be computer generated. Um, so yeah. It's, it's nice. I like that moment a lot. Mm-hmm. So the soldier says that he is willing to die if it brings Bill back. Yeah. Except the doctor says, no, we're going to escape. I'm going to find out who testimony is, what they want, and if needs be, we'll stop them together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is where the first doctor can't believe the 12th doctor's behaviour. The way that he's so swashbuckling. Yes. Um, You know, he can't accept that they're the same person. So, this is one of the good bits of the episode. This is where testimony shows the first Doctor what he will become. Yeah, we get a little clip show. Yeah, so we see all of the companions. We see all the iterations of the Doctor. You know, we see a little bit of the Time War. Mm. So, it just... Blows the first Doctor's mind. Yeah. And it's done really nicely. Like, I've said before, like, New Who, they go to that well perhaps a little more often than they need to. Um, and the most egregious example is probably Nightmare in Silver. I don't know if you remember that. Well, that Cyberman episode with Matt Smith in the theme park. There's, oh, yeah. a, there's a scene where you get all the Doctor's faces. I'm just like, we don't need this here. No. Just, you know, it it's not earned. Whereas with this... Especially it, because it it didn't do that for all of Eccleston and Tennant's run. No. And then all of a sudden it's like every week. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Moffat can't resist doing that kind of thing because it comes from a place of love of Doctor Who. And, and as someone who similarly, I don't have one particular era of who that I love above any others. There's no, I don't, you know, people talk about, you know, oh, who's your doctor? My doctor is the doctor because I didn't grow up with the show. I just love all of it. Mm. Um, it. It's always different and it's always the same. And I love that about it. So I'm a sucker for these kinds of moments where it kind of embraces that entire history, that legacy of this show, but it has to be earned. And it definitely is in the context of this story, because this story is all about memory and how memories make up a person. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's typified not just with testimony, but with the fact that you have this person at their earliest, one of their earliest points and one of their latest points trying to reconcile with one another, who they used to be, who they go- they are going to become, you know, it, it just fits perfectly. Um, so, yeah, great little scene. And she starts rattling off different names that the Doctor has had over... Yeah, different titles. Yeah. We get some we've heard before, some that are new to this episode. Um, what was it? Uh, one of them that's a reference to uh, the time of the Doctor, um, the sort of like the Beast of Trenzalore or something like that. Yeah, and, the yeah. Destroyer of Scaro. Yeah, I remember. I recognise that one. Yeah, the oncoming storm, mm. and yes, and ultimately the Doctor of War. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How how would you feel if someone just went, "Oh, David, in the future, you're like this." Uh, 
Doctor of War. I'd be like, that doesn't seem terribly likely. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's what uh, so. that's what the first Doctor. Yeah, thought. it's totally understandable because like he has spent the last few years just bumbling around with some school teachers and people, just yeah. basically just trying to survive. You know, there's that's it's really interesting when you look at the first Doctor's era. There is very little overt heroism, um, especially in his first season. It starts to creep in more and more as the series go on, but really, more often than not, the the plots revolve around, let's just try and not make things any worse and get out of this mess. <laughs> you know, that's about all they're aiming for a lot of the time. So, yeah. Okay, so the Doctor manages to free the TARDIS. Yes. And they swing down on the chains that it's hanging on. And as they land on Earth, the TARDIS retracts. Mm -hmm. So they're stumped. They're lost at the North Pole without a TARDIS. Except. Except that's exactly what the Doctor wants you to think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because they still have the first Doctor's TARDIS. Yes. And they enter. And it's that classic old set. Mm. HD first Doctor TARDIS. Yeah. Just eat that with a spoon. Love it. Um, would you like to comment on the fact that the first Doctor tells Bill to start cleaning? <laughs> yeah, you know, again, it's just that, it's that, you know, recurring joke here. Um, it's, it's you know, the nice thing about it is that Bill, you know, has no trouble for it. for herself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Yeah, no. I'm just I'm just in it for the set design, I'll be honest. Okay. <laughs> for this scene. So the doctor tries to match the face of testimony in the TARDIS's databank, but because this is an old version of the TARDIS, it has less data, so they're unable to find out who testimony is. Yeah. So they pilot the TARDIS to the centre of the universe where there's a comprehensive database. Mm-hmm. The only problem being the database wants to kill the Doctor. Yes. So they go to the Weapon Forge of Villengard. Yes. Home of the Dispossessed. Now, do you remember the the Weapon Forge of Villengard? Where have you heard that before? I've heard it mentioned. I I recognise the name, but I can't pinpoint where. Way back in The Empty Child and the Doctor Dancers. Okay. The, the the ninth doctor talks about how he wants um I think it's Jack's squareness gun came from the weapon forge of Villengard and uh ah. the doctor says, "Oh yeah, there's a banana grove there now. Bananas are good." You know, the implication being that at some point the doctor just strolled along and took it all down. Yeah. Now, I I've written in my notes and I don't know how I didn't notice what this was. I've just put there's a horrible brain crab that attacks. I don't know how I didn't spot what that was. They they do move quickly, to be fair. And yeah. there's a there's a lot going on, you know, there's like ruins and fire and you know. It's pretty dramatic. It's 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 a very, very sort of heavy metal album cover vibe. Yeah. yeah. Now, if we're gonna take anything away from this episode, David. Yes. From now on, whenever you choose to use coarse language I might threaten to smack your bottom. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so again, we get this. Uh, we get, yeah, this is the, the same recurring joke with the first one. This is what I mean about, like, it's just a little too often. Yeah. Um, so the first Doctor says, don't worry, Bill. Mm. No, sorry. Uh, Capaldi says, don't worry, Bill, I'll protect you. Mm. She calls him an arse. And then the first Doctor just sticks his head out the TARDIS. <laughs> goes, do you mind? Can you watch your language? I'll smack your bottom. Yeah. Bit awkward. I mean, yes. I mean, that's the whole point. But also, it is worth noting that there is a scene in which the first Doctor does specifically threaten to smack Susan's bottom. Oh, really? That is a thing that happens. Now, to be fair, the time in which it was made, the idea of a grandparent threatening to, to smack a grandchild's bottom for acting up is not out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Very much... That is, you know, was the way things rolled back then. But there's a difference between the first Doctor threatening to do that to his grandchild and threatening to do that to a a lady that he's only met half an hour ago. Um, And it's, you know, again, it's those kinds of things where people think it's like it's, it's being unkind towards the first Doctor's era by by taking those things out of context, if you like. Um, so yeah. the first Doctor leaves the TARDIS he's going to go follow Capaldi to see what's going on and as Bill offers the soldier a brandy we see that her hand is clear <sighs> dun 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 yeah so Bill's the villain all along yeah so first Doctor catches up with 12 we find out that these brain crabs are the database mm-hmm. and the first Doctor for the first time admits he's afraid to regenerate Mm-hmm. And just when you think Capaldi's going to launch into a speech, something shoots at them from a tower. Yeah. Okay. Very familiar sort of blue laser beam. Yeah. Uh, not familiar enough that I recognise that. <laughs> uh, whatever it is scans the Twelfth Doctor to see that he is dying mm-hmm. and the doors to this tower open. Okay. The soldier talks about the war and his family and mm-hmm. sees that Bill has become testimony. Yes. Okay. Twelfth Doctor goes up the tower with the first keeping lookout, and we see that the shooter is a Dalek. It's Rusty the Dalek. Ah, all the old favourites are back. We've got Bill, we've got Mark Gatiss in a new role, and now Rusty, the Dalek from episode two (laughs) of of Twelfth Doctor's run. I love that, because it's so... Nobody was asking for this. Yeah. But, yeah, it's fine. Like, it, 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 it works. Yeah. Yeah. All the way back to Into the Dalek. <laughs> yeah. That one Dalek that, yeah, that just nobody's thought about since that episode finished. Well, that's it. When he was like, yeah. oh, it's rusty. I was like, just going just gonna to go on TARDIS wiki for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is this? Right. So, testimony appears as Bill to the yes. first Doctor. And asks why he stole the TARDIS. Okay. We then cut back to Rusty, who's saying how much he hates the Daleks because of the Doctor, because the Doctor showed him the beauty of the universe. Mm-hmm. Which ties in a little bit with Missy not hearing the music, I thought. Yeah, it does kind of uh, yeah tie neatly back into that. Okay. So the Doctor s- says to Rusty, you should help. Okay. 
because helping the Doctor always hurts the Daleks. Mm. We get that little bit of, you know, oh, you're a good Dalek, and it's like, no, you are a good Dalek. Yeah. Okay? So, the first Doctor explains he wants to see what keeps the balance of good and evil in the universe. You know, how does good consistently triumph when evil is everywhere? Mm. And as soon as he explains that, Bill gives him a hug and says, never forget, you are amazing. Mm. Okay. We get the revelation that testimony is Professor Helen Clay from the University of New Earth. Yeah. There's a hark back to a character we haven't heard about in a while. Oh, wait, no. That's the least important detail of this episode. <laughs> yeah. So, in the year 5 billion and 12, the near-dead are lifted from time, their memories are duplicate, and their, sorry, their memories are duplicated, and then they can, much like Bill here, be used to talk to their friends and family to cheer yeah. them up. That's a really interesting big sci-fi idea. And it's the kind of thing that I actually think I could, if we had the technology, we definitely would, we would do that. We absolutely would. I mean, right now, we basically reanimate the dead to to sell, like, car insurance and stuff. You know, <laughs> we're, we're doing that with, like, dead actors and things. So, of course, people, if there was a way to sort of artificially preserve the personalities and memories of significant people... Well, of course we would do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it's not an evil plan. It's just a chance to see the dead again. Yeah. And once we realise that, time stops again. And I and, and I love I love Capaldi's delivery on the line of, it's not an evil plan. I don't know what to do if it's not an evil plan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's just like, right, we just head back to the TARDIS, cup of tea, just <laughs> gather our thoughts. yeah. Um, so, as I say, time stops again, and Bill tells the Doctor it's time to regenerate. Yeah. He caused the time distortion by trying to die twice. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, they agree that they will regenerate, they will sort the time stream out, but ask that they can return the captain, the soldier, back to his timeline. Yeah. Okay? And... Twelfth Doctor takes him back to the crater. Yeah. Where the soldier's final wish is, he says, can you watch over my family, check in on them from time to time? Because mm-hmm. I think he's told his wife will be home from Christmas. Yeah. And when the Doctor says, yeah, absolutely, what's the name? Turns out this is Captain Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. And in big letters in my notes, I've written, Boo! <laughs> Boo! <laughs> it didn't work for you. No. No, just tell him that his son turns into a sky robot and blows up. (laughs) I was going to say, for me, it goes some way towards washing the taste out of my mouth left by Cyberbreak. Yeah, that's all I thought. I was like, because they did such a bad job. And they're just like, oh, yeah, you've got a crap story ending, but your dad's all right. (laughs) No, absolute hogwash this. No, boo. I'd have preferred it if it just went, what's your name? And he like goes, my name is Anthony Johnson. And it's just someone totally unrelated. That would have been more satisfying yeah. to me. 
would never would this, have happened. This is absolute. I won't swear. I mean, it's, it's absolute poo poo. It's it's indulgent, but this is an indulgent episode. This is a big, rich Christmas pudding of an episode, isn't yeah. it? I bet all the fandom were like, "Oh my yeah. god! Oh my god!" No, not for me. Doesn't work. Bin. Just put it in the bin. Uh, if it, Matt, if you not learned anything. Surely you've learned by now the fandom does not agree on anything when it comes to Doctor Who. Everyone's, you know, someone's best moment is somebody else's worst moment for basically the same reasons. Um, well, it's funny you say that because this week I offered my thoughts on the Tomb of the Cybermen yeah. to the Who Can Convince You podcast. That's what they're reviewing this week. Yeah. And... I don't think it went down particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a controversial so, but, opinion, for sure. No, there was there was a nice discourse, a nice conversation. There was me, the Who Can Convince You podcast, there was Married to Who, and there was the Doctor Who show. Yeah. And I, I think at first, when I just said, oh, I prefer the twin dilemma, people just thought I was being a bit silly and a bit stupid or mm-hmm. a bit controversial. But when I was able to basically say, look, I haven't got any nostalgia for this show. Yeah. If I had to sit down and watch one, I'd watch Twin Dilemma all day. And it turned into quite an interesting conversation about the role of like nostalgia in the fandom. And... Oh, well, it gets huge. It's, uh, I mean, and we're seeing it. What is this episode, if not a love letter to nostalgia? You know... It, it, that's that's really the crux of this whole story is like the the importance of memory and of story of allowing you know your, the, the story of others to shape your own life and your own choices um yeah so so i think there is a significant like I don't necessarily agree with you when it comes to Twin uh, Twin Dilemma versus Tomb of the Cyberman, but but I, I I am sort of somewhere in that region where I would say Tomb of the Cyberman probably a little bit overrated, and Twin Dilemma is definitely underrated because, like you, I'd never seen that one until we watched it for the podcast, and I didn't think it was great, but I didn't think it was atrocious either. I can probably think of, there are certainly other classic Who stories that I have enjoyed less than that one so uh anyway uh where, where where are we i've completely lost track now right so in the crater yes we hear singing because oh, yes, it's christmas yes. day 1914 it's the christmas armistice oh and you know uh, what can I, can I just say that the first time i watched this you know um several you know several powerful ales into the day as it was um i I sobbed my little heart out in this scene it just it hit me like a ton of bricks because i didn't see it coming i mean i I should have been able to do the basic maths (laughs) of uh christmas episode doctor who uh, First World War, of course it's going to be the Christmas Armistice. What else could it ever possibly be? Um, but I didn't see it coming. And it's, it is beautiful. Do you not think... Did it, 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 You're going to be all stony-hearted at me now, aren't you? 
No. Yeah. Like, it, it's relatively well done. Yeah. And it's so... What gets me is it's so appropriate for this show. The, at, at the very heart of Doctor Who is this idea of peace, kindness, respect and love triumphing uh, yeah triumphing over war and cynicism and you know all of that it's it, it it's it, it it so perfectly encapsulates the ethos at the heart of doctor who it, i mean there's there's a question i was going to ask at the end of the episode but yeah. probably a good time to ask it no now. go go for it for, for all we've pointed out the flaws in this episode, is it the best Christmas special? It's one of my favourites. Yeah. I don't like, know... That's it, because I thought at the beginning, I was like, oh, God. But actually, you know, for all I moan about it, a lot of the other Christmas specials are far worse than this. Yeah. Um. I think I still... It's only on, the, on the, our, our watch-through for this episode that it, I really... Uh, for this show, that I really realised. I think my favourite Christmas special is The Snowmen. Mm-hmm. And, and there's lots of reasons for that. But but this is probably a close second for me. Or maybe, oh, I don't know, I really like Last Christmas. Which is the one with the dream crabs. That's, oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe for next week, when we do our 10th series wrap-up, you can rank the Christmas specials. Ah, all right then. Yeah. Right. So, after we get, like, a John Lewis Christmas advert, the yeah. first Doctor says, this is what it means to be the Doctor of War. Yeah. You know, because able to see the good in amongst the fighting. Yeah. Much. So the first and the twelfth Doctor shake hands... And the first Doctor says, I am ready. Are you? Yeah. And good line here from Capaldi. He says, well, I guess you'll find out the long way round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first Doctor re-enters the TARDIS and we cut back to the classic footage. We see him yeah. turn into Troughton. And again, I've just written, boo! <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad they did that rather than have him regenerate into Reece into an actor pretending to. Well, be do you remember it's in in Adventure Time and Space? It's Reece Shearsmith briefly oh, yeah. plays Patrick Trout. So they could have just done that. I'm yeah. very glad they didn't. Yeah, oh, they should have done really spat on the legacy of all the show, or just someone else, just Lenny Henry. <laughs> Just, he regen- regenerates into Lenny Henry, not even playing the Doctor. Well, I was going to say, do you know that he did a sketch um, where he plays a a, a a new incarnation of the Doctor? Oh, I'll have to dig it out. It's, I didn't even know that. It's it's interesting. It's interesting as a watch. In that, I'm not. It's not a great sketch, but part of me is like, kind of, you know what? I probably would have taken Lenny Henry over McCoy. That what, might, that what, might... <laughs> what would be the worst outcome? Who could he have regenerated into? That would have been the worst. <laughs> well, you see, that's the. Oh, you see, Sir Alan Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, but anyway, um, 
so yeah, so it, so it, it it cuts back. That goes full circle. If you want to have this in your canon, some people like this episode. This episode basically is just not part of their head canon because that it's that much of an aberration to them. I think it's 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 quite clever the way it, it just it doesn't detract from anything that happens in the tenth planet. It just neatly slots itself in. Um, what, yes. what if he regenerated into Missy, and then we got loads of adventures, and then she turned into Troughton? Like, they they could have done this so much better. <laughs> okay, all right, moving right. on. So Bill and the Twelfth Doctor go for one last stroll, and you know, Bill sort of says, "Look, I'm all memories now. Memories are important." And gives yeah. him a little kiss, and gives him back his memories of Clara. Hooray! Yeah. Doesn't go look for her or anything. It's just like, all oh, right, I remember that now. Okay. And then... I mean, it's nice. It, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of... It's almost the done thing these days that, that doctors get to have their little farewell to all of their companions. Yeah. Even the ones that have kind of moved on from the show. Um, you do also... It, it is also a gift to Chris Chibnall because he's like, don't worry... You can reference stuff that happens in the Clara era. Don't you know? That's one less thing that you have to worry about now. Yeah, and then this is another one of my favourite lines because Nardole appears. Yeah, and the Doctor says, uh, "Just you know, when you're dying, you're entitled to think your day couldn't get any worse, <laughs> but here you are." Yeah, poor little punching bag, Nardole. Yeah. So he tells the Doctor not to die or the universe will go cold. And they have a little hug. Yeah. Okay. And then we get the Doctor's farewell speech. Yes. So one more lifetime won't kill anyone. Yeah. We get the never cruel, never cowardly. Kate is always foolish. Love is always wise. That's a lovely line, I think. Yeah. Mm. Always try to be nice. Never fail to be kind. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, only children can hear his name. Yeah. Laugh hard, run fast, be kind. Doctor, I let you go. And, I mean, you, you're doing that in a... Like... Yeah, I've run through it very nonchalantly. <laughs> Capaldi does it a bit better than me. Yeah, it does it magnificent. It's maybe it's maybe goes on a touch too long, as others have said. But overall, it's a really lovely speech. And also, so in keeping with this iteration of the Doctor that literally their final act is to deliver a lecture to their next incarnation. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, the first thing he says is, right, uh, before I go, I, you know, let's get this right. You know, I've got a few things to say to you. Um, and, yeah, so he, 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 give, he delivers a full-on lecture to his future self. And, yeah, and then it happens, you know, Again, yeah. he, as just seems to be the trend at the moment, why doctors feel the need to regenerate inside their TARDIS whilst it is mo- in motion, when just go and stand outside a safe distance away from others. Nah, you've got to blast that energy. You've got to destroy <laughs> the ship. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so that I happens. I suppose we'll be getting a new TARDIS set next season. <laughs> Potentially. Um, yeah. Um, so... We see the ring fall off his finger. We do. And after a few reflections in screens, yeah. we see Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. And what does she say, Matt? 
Oh, br well, I, I'm going to try and do it more like her. Because yeah. I think, you know, if I just go, oh, brilliant. You know, <laughs> imagine I'm never going to win a BAFTA for that. <laughs> uh, so she goes, oh, brilliant. Really enthusiastically. Yeah. Uh, she's less enthusiastic about falling out of the TARDIS and plummeting to the earth. Yes. So. Yeah. There's some, some major malfunctions going on with that TARDIS. You see, like, fire... <laughs> you know exploding through the time rotor and yeah it it unceremoniously dumps her out midair and then uh, and then dematerializes yeah good riddance to bad rubbish <laughs> is this is she... this the next phase of the podcast you're going to be an nmd for for the next <laughs> uh, 6 months no far from it good I, i'm quite excited because i seem to hate everything everyone likes yes so if this is, you know, this derided period of the show, mm -hmm. it's probably going to be quite good. I cannot wait to get your thoughts on everything that's coming. I think we're in for some really interesting discussions. Over. I can't believe we're finally caught up with a current Doctor. Yeah. I mean, by the time we've caught up, caught up, probably won't be. Mm. But, yeah, so feels it's, good. It's only taken us nearly three years. Yeah. <laughs> Here's to another three. Ah, oh, crikey. Um, but yeah, yeah. We've been doing this forever. I know. It's mad. it's mad. Until I can donate your body to medical science, <laughs> we'll be doing this part. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, then. Um, on that note, dear listeners, uh, do send in your thoughts as quick as you can uh, to us to. Uh, uh, ahead of our series 10 wrap up and we will try and address any questions you may have um obviously please don't spoil anything related to uh series 11 and beyond because matt's not seen any of that yet but uh you know anything from the rtd and moffat years is fair game and pretty much all classic because you don't give a shit about classic do you matt never have never will <laughs> Um, but yeah thank you so much as always for joining us on this this leg of the journey uh, and uh, yeah join us next week when we will be reflecting on series 10 the Moffat period as a whole anything else we care to think about um, but until then as always thank you so much for listening and cheerio oh Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.